Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Coming up, Arriva Derchi, Tony Macaroni. There are new owners at the Spaghetti Hat. Say no to fans on the pitch. Is it a good thing? And when you hear this, Inverness will have a new manager. Yes, welcome to another episode of the Scottish Football Show. I am your host, Andrew Slavin. Joining me this week, he's the man from the future. We're recording on Monday, Monday night, but it's Tuesday morning where he is. So it'll be Wednesday probably when he gets this out. <laughs> That's Melbourne City Head of Creative, Finlay Marks. Hello, pal. How you getting on? Hey. Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, waiting on the impending doom of my second child. About to be born any minute. Oh, it's it's a very exciting time. What's uh, what is enjoyable and not to scare you is um, you think it's just double the amount of work having two kids rather than one. Um, it's not. It's exponentially more. <laughs> don't don't. <laughs> but I, I I back you to to be a success in the new role. Uh, I think I think I think oh. you'll do just fine. It, it's amazing how much of it. This is boring chat for anybody that doesn't have kids. <laughs> it's amazing how much of it uh, having a second kid all of the stuff that you remember from first time you'd forgotten comes back as muscle memory. So, yeah. Oh, I hope so. Well, the only difference is, the only difference is, and yes, this is boring on a f- football chat, uh, but we had a daughter. Now we're about to have a boy. So just worried about the willy, mate. That's, you know, dealing with nappies and all sorts. <laughs> just the, the pee in the face. That's, you know, but that's Scottish football for you, isn't it? You know, sometimes <laughs> you just have to deal with shit. And sometimes someone pisses in your face. But there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, Laura's not with us uh, for this week. Um, but are you excited for resorting to a beautiful traditional front two this week, Finn, instead of the more, you know, attacking th- front three? As a man of my age, I obviously think that 90s football is 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 still the, the benchmark for all, all football in terms of kits and everything else. And the classic <laughs> big man, small man, partnership up front I think is the way to go so uh, I mean I, I'm the big man isn't it that's or or the stocky wee the stocky wee guy that can't run properly I was meaning big man like yeah wide ways yeah I, I'm definitely the mercurial masterclass center forward or number number 10 in behind that'll be me I'll take that but uh, let's let's get stuck into a couple of funnies Finn um have you got anything to start us off with well my favorite thing that I saw this week uh, it seems like it went kind of under the radar, but I really enjoyed it. It was um, a video of obviously Aberdeen were away in, in Frankfurt uh, last midweek oh, yeah. for for their uh, Conference League match, and there's a brilliant video of a newlywed couple coming out of uh, a church in <clears throat> in the middle of Frankfurt being greeted by. Hundreds, if not thousands, of Aberdeen fans yeah, oh, wow. chanting and cheering for them. I think the Aberdeen <laughs> fans had a, had a pretty good time. Uh, that's, so that's brilliant. That's something you kind of won't forget. Yeah, unusual to be serenaded by a throng of Aberdeen fans on your wedding day. Jeez, oh man, Frankfurt fans! The Frankfurt fan uh, being married. I wonder if they were worried that it was Bayern Munich fans outside. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I really liked. It was a bit of a, a niche one. This, uh, but Montrose. Um, who won at the weekend? I think yeah. they they uh, posted on Twitter about uh, their defender Kerr Waddle coming back. So he came off the bench and um, uh, just subbed on about the seventieth minute, and then said, "You know how when they do the little updates uh, on on their, their club pages and stuff." 
uh, but they spelt his name wrong, which was spotted by Kerr. And I just, it's not just that, it's just Kerr actually responded to the mistake and he said, cheers, lads, good spelling of the name. I've only been here for four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? I, yeah. With that stuff, I am paranoid. I think it's maybe because having my name, which has got a D in it, which is unusual for the first name if your name's Finlay, um, I, I get really annoyed when people can't use my proper name like in an email or a text message or whatever um, because the thing that blows my mind is quite often people will email me having spelled my name correctly in the email address obviously or otherwise I wouldn't have got it and then spell my name incorrectly in the body of the yeah. email which is just bizarre so I, I, I feel this pain I, th I think you, you know these small things you need to make sure just copy and paste make sure you've got all the spellings right copy and paste no mistakes it's even worse with I mean even I don't know if I should put a second n if we just you just revert to Finn, right? <laughs> so is it two ends or one end? I don't know. But that, this is a love. It's a love hate relationship I have with graphics. Like in full stop, I know everyone, especially on Scotland's social media, have have a go at Sky Sports, um, about like getting things wrong all the time. But the the love hate relationship with producers and graphics is a nightmare. Like no producer likes graphics, because <laughs> it's so hard. Like you need to at least have always about nine pairs of eyes across graphics because sometimes you just never know. You can't rely on one operator to just type something out or copy and paste or rely on OptaStats that update stuff automatically for a lot of broadcasters. Uh, just just graphics, it's just just a pain in the arse. But hey-ho, all good. Um, <laughs> another one I really liked was um, Laura actually sent me this on WhatsApp, but uh, Motherwell released their team photo for the season and uh, really funny that uh, they're... they're on loan player Bereth has uh, commented on the page with like a little weird like huh emoticon <laughs> because if you look on the top on the back row he looks like, like he's been photoshopped into the team photo I just love that it was actually because I, I you'd sent a link so I was opening the picture to be like right where's the obvious photoshop and I was like they've actually done a pretty decent job I mean it still looks like he's not quite there but yeah it's uh it, it's a pretty good job they've done with it <laughs> just while we're on uh at Motherwell and, and interesting photographs there was actually a really funny picture that was kind of doing the rounds on Twitter after the game um it was when Stuart Kettlewell was doing his post-match but in the Rangers <laughs> um pressure obviously I, I'll I'll put a little picture here for those that are watching on YouTube, but it's it's something to do with the lighting of him sitting there. But there's like a really pale blue light over the whole of Stuart Kettlewell, and it was really funny because my instant thought then when I read the comments, everybody else had the same thought, which was like, he looks like he's being beamed in from Star Wars. You know, like the way oh, that R two D two projects, it's like a hologram the, type, a thing. hologram. Yeah. <laughs> It's exactly what it was like, so I, I quite enjoyed I haven't that. Seen, it's been a funny week. I'm looking at the photo now. I haven't seen this photo, but I remember thinking about that at the time. Anakin Kettlewell. <laughs> For all those geeky Star Wars fans like me out there, they might enjoy that. May the force be with you. The dogs bark and the caravan passes. The caravan keeps moving. The caravan keeps going. Uh, right, some news to get stuck into as well now because probably a relief for a lot of Livingston fans is they have um, a new owner, a guy called, and apologies, John, I know you're a big listener of the, the podcast, but uh, apologies for getting your name wrong here. Uh, John McElvogue? McElvogue. McElvogue. Yeah. Terrible. See, this is why I wouldn't be good in graphics. Uh, but he's acquired <laughs> a majority stake in the club 
uh, and now takes his place on the board as well as uh, becoming the chief commercial officer. They've also recently appointed a new chief executive, Dave Black, and John Ward also stays in his role of chairman. So, like, there's a little bit of a shake-up, um, but this has to be... You know, Livingston are a tough club to, to, to run and to bring in finances, and uh, Martindale, the manager, has done a great job, even as an assistant manager beforehand. Even he's came out and said this is a huge relief. He can just focus on being a manager for once. It sounds like there's been a lot of bouncing around different jobs. What's your take on this, Finn? Well, I don't know a huge amount of the ins and outs of it, and it would actually be really good to, I think we'll try and get a Olivier yeah. um, supporter on at some point soon just to go through the finer details of it. Obviously, the news is quite fresh, and um, we don't have a huge amount of insight into the, the inner workings of it. But I, I, I think, yeah, <laughs> to hear the manager speaking about the relief that he has um, mm. is a big thing. Because I think Martin, he's he's such a good guy for that club. He's, he's been amazing for, for Livingston, not just, you know, in, in his role as manager and what he's done, taking them to cup finals and top six finishes and all the rest of it. But he, he's, he's a Livy man, you know, like he, he mucks in behind the scenes. I know, I know he's been doing that when money's been tight and there's been cost cuts, cutting measures that uh, Martindale's been mucking in with things there too. So yeah, I, I, it'll be a huge relief. It, it, it will be one of those things where, where the manager, you know, he's got to worry about doing things off the pitch if you can just concentrate on doing it because I don't think their start to the season's been too bad, but mm-hmm. I, I think now that they've got this space of knowing that the future of the, the club is is secure and the running of the club will be ongoing, it, it just takes that pressure away. Um, there's interest growing in Aaron Hickey. There's talk of him being linked with a move. I know this is taking us away from Scottish football, but Aaron Hickey has been an absolute, you know, on a rocket trajectory as a player. You know, obviously leaving Hearts to go to Bologna in the Serie A. He's moved to Brentford and he's absolutely, he's never looked out of place uh, since he's left Hearts. He was excellent when he was there, obviously, too. Um, but he's now, I think, what, 11 caps for Scotland. And he's only 21. There's talks of him mm. now moving to Arsenal or Liverpool or Man United. And you can see why, because the the interest in Scotland's young players right now is so high. I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron Hickey maybe made it. If there was a big club like that that comes in for him in January, again, this is something you just hope that if he did make that move, um, that it's going to be, he's going to get the game time as well. You don't want him to just be providing competition. Um, but it's great news uh, for Scottish Scottish football fans, pro- more so uh, for Steve Clark. I think it's great news, and you're alluding to the the caps that he's now getting for Scotland. Like he's most of them have been out of position, where <laughs> he's been playing in right back, where his natural position is left back. So to have a, a two footed player who's you know, for want of a better expression of of the cliche, a modern attacking fullback, you know, overlapping mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Um, he's got so many attributes that would be massively desirable for for top end clubs. So it's no surprise that there's that level of club being interested. I think I even saw a rumor that Bayern Munich are keeping tabs on him as well. Um, really, yeah. And they've actually they've actually signed a few young players from um, from Scottish teams. I think Barry Hepburn, yeah, uh, Morrison, the one, but Morrison from and Celtic Morrison as from well, Celtic yeah. as well. Yeah, there's 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 been a few that they've signed, so it's obviously a talent pool that they look at and and they they trust. So uh, it can only be a good thing for the national team when you've got all of these players 
playing well for their clubs, but at the highest level as well. As Brentford might not necessarily be the highest level, but I think the Premier League is regarded as one of the best leagues, if not the best league in the world in terms mm-hmm. of talent and pace and professionalism and everything else. So the fact that he's applied his trade there for, for a couple of seasons with Brentford and looked great, it's no surprise that bigger clubs, I think, are knocking on the door. Absolutely, and because of that versatility, I think that's what makes him even more attractive to bigger clubs because I think even his debut for Hearts was uh, in the Scottish Cup final against Celtic. It might have been, and he played right back that day too. It was only 16 years old. Like So good to see his progression amongst many other good Scottish players. Um, I, I will just promote the podcast, even though you're all listening to it now. But if you, if you haven't listened to us before, and this is brand new to you, we are across all podcast platforms. We also are on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, TikTok as well. Um, so yeah, hit the subscribe button if you can. That'd be really nice. Tell all your pals. Uh, support is really important uh, for us to keep doing this. Just on the YouTube side, just to point people towards most of the time that we'll have uh, guests on the on the podcast, on the show, um, we put in a truncated version of the interviews. Um, on yeah. YouTube, we tend to have a the, pretty much the full-length conversation that we have with people play long form. Um, so whereas it might be like 12, 15 minutes in, in an episode of the podcast, it's sometimes like 20, 25 minutes. So if, if there's ever a guest that you're listening to and you you want to hear more of the interview, always check out the YouTube channel. So for exa- example, last week, Motherwell manager, uh, Stephen Robinson. was St. Mary manager, guest. Finley. <laughs> Freudian slip. Love it. Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> St Mirren manager Stephen Robinson was on and uh, he's a terrific guest and he, um, I think we recorded for about 25 minutes with him so the, the full length uh, interviews on YouTube if you want to go and check that out as we've done with all of our guests um, from, from this season so far so yeah, definitely worth checking out Good old plug Finn, love that Fuentes, right Lammers picks up, that's nice from Rangers Matondo with space, deflected it in and Cyril Desser celebrates his first Premiership goal for Rangers there's more than a touch of fortune about it it just hits off him but he will take it all day long Motherwell's good work early on undone Rangers lead Now you would think three wins in a week would mean that everything's rosy at your club but for Rangers it doesn't seem quite right at Ibrox. Uh, a shaky performance, shall we say, against Motherwell. One which Michael Beale actually admitted that they, they got away with one. Uh, Motherwell were excellent, uh, just missing missing, just missing fight at that finishing quality. But Finn, do you like Beale's honesty in his post-match? Because you couldn't really disagree with what he's saying, but he's been quite negative towards his team a lot of the time so far this season. Uh, he, he might make a good pundit. Is he making a good manager? I, th- I think he tries to be honest. The interesting thing with Michael Beale's sound bites is that he tends to contradict himself quite a lot. I think he says one thing and then a couple of weeks later he'll say something else. And I think he's a very, I would say, a very in the moment kind of person. Like he's good at an- analysing something in the moment, but there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of consistency in the way that he's saying something or, or analysing things over a longer period of time. He said when he was appointed manager, and this is something that's been kind of replayed uh, a lot recently, that he wanted to play with the handbrake off um, and, and that a Rangers team should be on the front foot and attacking. And it's just a complete antithesis of, of what we're witnessing at the moment. I think having spent the guts of, what is it, you know, nine, 10 million pounds on, on forward players this summer, 
he's still not sure what his best starting 11 is. It just looks like he's kind of flinging shit at the wall and seeing what, what's going to stick. I, I think every single really? week it feels like there's a different, well, I haven't tried them up front. So I'll go for it this week. So the starting front three at the weekend were Rabi Matondo, Scott Wright and Cyril Dessers. Two of them were players that were pretty much at the exit door during the summer. It really confuses me. And I think the most worrying thing for Rangers fans is that there's no discernible signs of progress. There was something really telling, actually, in the post-match interview by Liam Kelly and he was talking about his own team Motherwell uh, interestingly and he, but he made this point of um, you know you might lose games but over the course of a season if you have a system and you're well drilled and you're playing for each other and you're doing all that you will get the results like you'll be okay alluding to the fact mm-hmm. of well it didn't go our way today but on another day that could have been points uh, if not a draw, then, then certainly a win. And it's just yeah. quite telling when you have somebody talking about that with the team you've just played, not having every, any evidential style or or cohesion in the way that they're playing. So I, I think it's more, the results are one thing, but it's the tangible signs that Rangers fans have to work with. There doesn't seem to be much of a plan, yeah. if any. And I, I feel like the clock's kind of ticking for Michael Beale. It's it's funny it's funny because for a Motherwell fan you'd probably that performance was excellent and they should have got more out of the game so they can go away from that match actually feeling pretty good about themselves because Motherwell are so well drilled right now and they're on this they were on this amazing away run uh, you just think that they can just keep going no like believing that they have that system and they have the way that they they can play they're just missing that you know. Uh, that that kind of winning man up front a little bit because uh, they get they have a lot of goals around their team, um, but I just yeah that they were just missing that finishing touch during the game because they were by far the better team and you know it's not nice to see a manager go but when Beal does come in uh, promising a lot of things and it's not going to be easy I do remember Rangers giving Gerrard a long time without winning something but that was Steven Gerrard this is Michael Beal who's not the stature that... Even Van Bronckhorst, how well could Van Bronckhorst... How well could he have done if he was backed as much as Michael Beale has been backed in the transfer market? He's a guy who was literally got them into the Champions League and was saying in his post-match that, look, we're, we've got two or three players we want to sign and then nobody came in. Now Beale's been backed with a lot of cash and he's not delivering. It feels like the writing's on the wall, and I don't like seeing anyone lose their job, but you just don't get that time when you're at Celtic or Rangers. And I think you make a really astute point. I think it's just a timing thing. I think it's an unfortunate thing for Van Bronckhorst as opposed to Beal, in that Beal this summer has had the the opportunity. I'm going to use the the brilliant tabloid expression of a war chest. I love that, a transfer <laughs> war chest. Um, but he's he's been backed exclusively. And also there's no fallback on Ross Wilson this time that Gerard and, and Giovanni Van Bronckhorst could have laid blame at his door with the director of football. These are all Beal signings and none of them seem to have any kind of joined up thinking in the way that they're playing in a team. Van Bronckhorst's issue 
because uh, obviously he made it to a European final and qualified for the Champions League and, and, and won the Scottish Cup as well. His big downfall was the league form. And when you're Rangers or Celtic, that's your bread and butter. You have to be winning the league championship. And mm-hmm. there were so many games where um, yeah, Rangers were just really poor on a domestic front. And that's something that Beal did arrest last season because when, when he did come in, he was able to turn around the domestic form. But the biggest accusation levied at Beal is that whenever an actual real challenge has come along, so that's games against Celtic or big European matches, he's lost every single one of them, apart from the one against Betis midweek. So that's the first mm. tangible sign that there's been a result against a high level of opposition where it's really counted and he's done the business. So I agree with you. It's not nice to see anybody lose a job, but you just kind of feel like you know how this movie ends. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, positive uh, weekend for Aberdeen. Um, obviously, they lost in their Europa Conference League match against Eintracht Frankfurt. Probably not a terrible result when you think of the scoreline uh, against a team who, who had won the Europa League um, not too long ago. 4-0 winners against Ross County. Their first league win of, of the season. Uh, an, emphat- an emphatic performance. An excellent one all round from, from everyone. Duke was getting a lot of plaudits at the weekend, obviously ending his goal drought, a 14-game run without one, a positive performance, one that Aberdeen fans haven't seen for a while, Finn. Yeah, and I think they'll really be hoping that it kicks their season into gear now because they've they've really spluttered and stuttered at the start of this season. Uh, obviously, when Robson came in at the tail end of last year, they had a really good run towards the end of the mm-hmm. season and, and managed to clinch third when uh, <laughs> it did not look likely for a long time. Uh, I think Duke scoring is is a welcome sign again for Aberdeen because he's not had the best of starts this season. So you hope that not just Duke but uh, and Miofsky as well scoring a double. You know these players can can then kick on. Um, I think also you make a really good point that although it was a defeat against Frankfurt, um, and this is something I was saying on our WhatsApp chat uh, between me you and Laura, because at the end of the game I was like I, I'm actually surprised. I, I felt weirdly upbeat seeing Aberdeen had only lost 2-1 and you know using air quotes there in, in Germany but but it's by far your most difficult group game mm-hmm. and to go there and it wasn't just you know it wasn't an Alamo it wasn't backs to the wall and tra- Frankfurt only scored the two goals you know Aberdeen competed and I think in that there'll be a lot of like you know we can mix it we are a good team we just need to find our our groove again and man they did that at the weekend so yeah I I think they'll be hoping that this really really kicks their season into gear now and give them confidence going into the future conference league matches as well lots of positive signs for Aberdeen Um, I suppose positive signs for Celtic as well who a lot of people have been saying have been struggling 3-0 3-0 winners away to Livingston. Joe Hart got sent off his first ever red card, but Celtic still uh, came out 3-0 winners, which is disastrous from a Livingston point of view because yeah. going against 10 men, you, you should be doing better. I think Martindale said at halftime he was quite happy going in at 1-0 down, knowing the second half to be a man, man up. Just didn't happen for them at all. Regardless of the opposition, if you're at home and the opposition goalkeeper is sent off after half an hour and they're down to 10 men, you would expect your team to compete, potentially take a point if you're already a goal down or something like that. Uh, and Livio were just lacklustre. But I think you know, f- fair play to Celtic as well, because sometimes it is difficult playing against 10 men. It's just that, that batting down the hatches mentality and Celtic w- were still able to to get two more goals for a fairly comfortable win. Um 
one of the interesting things at this game was though uh, I kind of wanted to make mention of maybe should have put it in the news section but did you see at the end of the game there was like a, a kid had uh, run onto the pitch post-match yeah. and was getting yeah. tackled by um, by the stewards and then Brendan Rogers comes over and you know picks him up and brings him over to the crowd under pushes his arm the steward going, away as well yeah um, which I, I think it was it was a good thing for Rogers to do but more, more on the other side, like, what's the wee guy doing on the pitch anyway? You shouldn't be on there. Um, yeah. So I, I, I kind we're, of had we're not, we're not fans. Thing. We're no. not fans of this, are we, Finn? And no, Laura is not, not a fan either. She's very much of the opinion that that the football pitch is a stage, <laughs> and you wouldn't go behind a stage and and you know tackle hug a, a, an actor or something like that because you'd be arrested and sent to prison for a long time. <laughs> uh, so it's one of those things. Yeah, I, I kind of fear that social media and videos of of fans going on the pitch, especially young kids run onto the pitch to meet their idols. It's a I it's a nice thing to see. Like, you know, I show things like that to my girlfriend and she's like, oh, isn't that really nice? That's really cute. But there is a danger that, you know, A, the stewards have a job to do mm-hmm. and the stewards will get a bollocking because they let someone onto the pitch. It's a hard thing to police as well, especially at lower league grounds when you can't hire as you know more stewards. So they've got a job to do. Secondly which is probably the primary point is that the 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 players need to be protected as well. Like, what yeah. if something really terrible happens? I know it was only a child, right? I know it was a kid, right? And it's and I think it's you know it's nice, but it just shouldn't be allowed, and it shouldn't be promoted like it is. Yeah, you know, just that idea that it's like, oh, go on and run in the pitch, you'll get away with it because you're a kid. Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree. It's just, it's just not, it's not the right thing that we should be turning around, and it will just gain more momentum. It just, it just needs to be stopped, and we'll probably get flack for saying stuff like this, but it's, it's the right thing. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't. It's, it's a place of work, and uh, at the end of the day, and it's absolutely fine if players post match want to go over and see the fans and clap the supporters, exactly. sign autographs, take selfies, whatever. Absolutely fine if they don't. You're not entitled to it, and and I I think I, I quite like Laura's kind of lofty way of of referring to the pitch as a stage, and like you wouldn't invade a stage at a play or a theatre or whatever. Um, I, and I think sometimes you know if it's like last day of the season and a club's preserved their league status, or it's your it's a cup win for the first time in you know a hundred odd years or something like that i can understand the motivation to pitch invade and want to celebrate and it's your moment you know you're on the ground but in a way when at livy three nil when you're the only person going on and you're right player safety is paramount and the, the the annoying thing is as well so much of the time stewards get flack for being too heavy-handed at one point or or not sure, yeah, doing yeah, enough yeah. of a job here they were doing their job there somebody invaded the pitch they they wrestled them to the ground but they're told by the opposing manager to get off like it's just yeah I I, I didn't enjoy seeing that but you know fair, fair play to, to Rogers as well for, for taking a wee stand yeah it's just it's a, there's a fine line there's a way to get it right um, but number one don't run onto the pitch just just let the fans let the players come to you uh, right let's go to Dundee 2-2 Dundee against Kilmarnock this was old friends getting back together again Derek McInnes against his former number two Tony Doherty Tony will probably be quite happy with the draw because they were they were down to 10 men again Josh Mulligan was sent off right and then the referee was sent to 
uh, look at it again by VAR. But amazingly, he stuck to his on-field decision. How many times have we asked mm. that of referees to stick to their on-field decision? Uh, very strange. But there was another weird moment as well, Finn, uh, about McInnes. Practically at full time, he got sent off as well. The ball comes across and he does he does kick it. So the ball has to have left the field, field of play. Otherwise, McInnes is entering field of play and he shouldn't be because the game is still going on. So it's a red card offence. <laughs> it's just... You hope common sense prevails, but then there are like these very, very strict rules with, with these kind of things. There was an interesting case just this week. So Melbourne City women's team um, have a striker, Hannah Wilkinson, who plays for the uh, New Zealand uh, national team. Uh, she scored the opening goal of the Women's World Cup when they beat Norway 1-0. Anyway, they were playing on the most recent international break in Chile and she was tussling with a, a Chilean defender accidentally in turning around to to talk to the 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 lines person hits the lines person um and now she's kind of staring at a, i think it's a 15 match international ban for striking an official what? even though it was completely unintentional and she's kind of turning around and say, so you know the, the the new zealand national team have appealed the decision but but <laughs> these are the rules you can't strike an official you can't interfere with with the ball being in play if you're if you're on the touchline i think i find them massively overly officious and you need some sort of um common sense approach to these things but uh the rules are rules so oh man that's that's unreal because i know like if there's like a a match like adjudicator or something like that like watching they might just say like you should have done that but if it's, it's like any job that you're in if you can justify your decision you're not wrong because that's that's you know it's just common sense Come yeah. on, use your common sense. <laughs> uh, right, Hibs, 2-0 against St Johnston. A home, first home win. Well, he's unbeaten now, Nick, Nick Montgomery, the man from Yorkshire who's came from Australia. But mm-hmm. uh, there was also a big story here in this game. Two debuts for two young Scots, Rory Whitaker from Hibs. I love it when they always, they have to put the days in their age. So 16 years, 44 days. And St Johnston's Franz Franzak. 16 years and 38 days. Loads of things going on, but a happy day for Hibs. Yeah, it was. Lewis Miller getting one of the goals as well, who, of course, was uh, was playing under Nick Montgomery at Central Coast Mariners. Um, ah. So it was, it was a good day for them as well. Um, I was making this point a couple of weeks ago when, when Nick Montgomery was all but um, assured of coming in as, as the new Hibs manager, that he's got a very good demonstrable track record of bringing through young players. And um, it's something that you kind of have to do a lot in, in the Australian leagues is rely on your, your, your youth squad and promote young players through. Um, and there's some great talent coming through. So it was good to see that he's he's looks like he's going to be continuing that at Hibs as well and giving youth yeah, a chance. Yeah. And there's, a, a, by all accounts, I think Rory Whitaker's um, quite a quite a prodigious talent so it'll be good to see what, what happens coming through I do really enjoy when you see the the years plus the days because it kind of feels like you know when you get a kid <laughs> written in by a letter and it's like you know little Jimmy Sanders nine and three quarters or something like that it's always <laughs> like a, uh, like a something like that but Fran Franchak as well great to see him coming in he he actually beats um Stevie May uh now as the youngest uh oh, really? player to come on for St. Johnson. I think by two days, I think uh, uh, Stevie May made his debut when he was 16 years and 40 days. And now we've got Fran Franchak at, um, 
16 years, 38 days. So wow. uh, one, one to watch. Maybe he'll be um, sporting a ponytail <laughs> in, the, in the days to come. Maybe. Well, I do I do know that Stephen McLean has, has obviously uh, put a few young lads out on loan, but he said before the season began that Fran is staying, that he wants to work with them, um, mm. which is really great to hear from you know your senior manager looking to give youth an opportunity. I mean, it's probably the only bright light coming out of St. Johnston right now. Yeah. Uh, it's not looking too good for, for uh, St. Johnston fans. Um, it's not looking good for Hearts fans as well at the moment. Uh, St. Mirren 1-0 winners and St. Mirren obviously doing so well under Stephen Robinson. They're, they're, they're only two points behind Celtic. They're still unbeaten, but Hearts have dropped to sixth, I think. They dropped down the table. There's a lot of unrest coming out of Hearts because of the whole manager situation. You know, mm. Naismith being given the job, then he didn't kind of have the job, but he totally had the job. Now he's got the <laughs> job again. And uh, looking at the stats, Finn, mm. it's mad really like how this Hearts team isn't maybe doing better. But do you think it's the players on the pitch or do you think there's a lack of communication from the duckout? It's really interesting because I think the... There seem to be a lot of parallels, I think, with the same situation that we touched on with Rangers in the in the opening game of this section. I think they both seem to be teams that are that might have coaches in the role that aren't necessarily suited to it or ready for the level of job that they've got. Um, by all accounts, I think Hearts don't really t- seem to have a, a real sense of cohesion on the pitch, a real prominent sense of style. Um, and it's one of those things. I know. I know there were issues with under Robbie Nielsen, but we said at the time as well. It just it seemed like a peculiar decision to bin off a manager that had been relatively stable and might not play the most exciting football. But it, it you know, there was there was a style and there was there was a, a formation to the way that they played. I I can't see how it can't have a bit of unrest when you you've got this weird kind of will they won't they bouncing between managers oh it's the coach oh no it's the manager and it's you know it's just it's a weird thing they're dominating games and possessions but they're not converting chances and it's just it seems like just such an about turn from last season I do wonder how much longer Stephen Naismith will be given given that you know the the whole reason for sacking Nielsen was you know, well, we might not finish third football. now, and it was yeah, ter- and terrible results to back it up as well. Hearts have just been rubbish. But on the flip side, as you say, it's no surprise that St Mirren, you know, took another three points because they've just been they are so well organised. Again, we talked about this with Motherwell. They are so well organised and well drilled, and you feel like all the players are playing for each other. There's a cohesion there, and it was quite yeah. interesting because it was it was a complete reversal of the goal from last week, which was um, Strain crossing for for Tanser to score. Yeah. This week it was Tanser's ball into the box, and Strain was the one putting it in the back of the net. Um, but yeah, they, they seem to be going from strength to strength. There was a brilliant article, uh, newspaper article this week with Mark O'Hara. And he was talking about how there there is such a positive mentality that St Mirren are just like, look, we're not here to make up the numbers of the top six. We're actually pushing ourselves to be like, what is the best we can go for? We want to be pushing towards cup finals, towards the top end of the table and all of that kind of stuff. And I'd be like, that's brilliant to have your captain yeah. doing that. And he leads by by example so well, Mark O'Hara. So yeah, yeah. going for central. And the crowd, I think, as well. Was was incredible at St yeah. Mirren Park at the weekend. I think that was their tenth highest crowd since they opened St Mirren Park. So it's Amazing. I mean there there is there's so much um, excitement around the place. Um, and when you guys spoke to Stephen Robinson last week, 
you can understand why the fans are so excited because there's a real progressiveness on the pitch as well as there is off it as well, which is really good. The one other note I would add about Hearts is I just have this feeling that they might be in a little bit of a moment that Aberdeen were in at the start of the season. I just feel they've got the squad that's capable to do it and they did have a lot of opportunities in this game. So you kind of think that, well, maybe it might just click and they might go on a run. But like you said, if they don't finish third... You know, it's like managing Celtic and Rangers. If you're not going to finish first, do you get the sack or do you not? You know, it's a sticker twist situation. I think Hearts should probably stick with it for now, um, but we'll see. Look, we're going to round up the other leagues as well now, Finn, um, and we're going to start with uh, Inverness because they could have a new manager. Big men are up from the back. El Mahani right foot. Whips it. Oh, jeezy peeps, man. Dundee United jumped back to the top of the Scottish Championship of the weekend after Wraith Rovers' defeat to Airdrie Orange. And Jordan Tilson's late winner at Inverness, despite United being down to 10 men. It would have been a valuable point for the managerless Inverness, who parted ways with Billy Dodds. So what next for the Highlanders? Joining us to talk about the future of the club is Andrew Young from Inverness Galley Thistle fan podcast, The Wineus Shuffle. Now, Andrew, did I say that right? Wineus Shuffle. You did, I That's perfect, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, no, at all. Look, it's always a shame to see a manager go, especially someone uh, who's you know, fairly liked in Scottish football, unless you're not a fan. Uh, but Billy Dodds, just just sum up his time in charge of Inverness. Was it the right time to part ways? Yeah, I think I think it was definitely the right time to part ways because um, I just didn't see him, him pulling it back this season. You know, um, his his kind of record overall as part of Cali as Calithus manager has been kind of streaky. That's probably the best way of characterising it. You know, he'd have these periods where he'd go on decent winning runs. And then he'd have these long, long periods where the club just kind of went into these slumps. And although there were mitigating factors like injuries and so on and so forth, there were games that he was losing and games where the teams just weren't the team just wasn't performing where, you know, you thought he probably could have done done something to turn around games we shouldn't have been losing under any circumstances, you know, injuries or no injuries. So um this was the thing, you know, he didn't really convince as a a manager who could consistently get good dominated, dominating performances out of teams. And like in the last few seasons, he sort of saved himself by kind of going on these really good runs towards the end of seasons, which were real, you know, kind of a bit too reliant, I think, on kind of short-term loan players, you know, um, Reese McAleer and Logan Chalmers uh, two seasons ago, and then the boy Henderson and Dan McKay to some extent last season. So there was always a sense in which it was kind of pulling things out of the fire. And I think for me, the reason this season that you just you felt it was time for him to go is after that really terrible start. When he was asked about, you know, how they were going to turn it around, he kind of went, well, you know, I know these boys are capable of going in good runs. We've shown it in the past. And he didn't take into account the fact that we'd lost two, arguably four of our best players from last season. You know, um, Robbie Dees and Scott Allardyce have been the backbone of the team for... Um, uh, the last two seasons, three seasons, um, Henderson, Mackay were kind of like match winners last season as well. We don't have any of those, so there's no guarantee at all that this particular squad of players could go on on these kind of like long winning runs that he's talking about. So it felt like he was really clutching his straws. So yeah, I, I think it was time for him to go. I think he maybe came in for a little bit too much criticism. You know, the people just wrote him off and said that he was, he was completely useless. And I don't think that's fair. But I think he was. Um, 
yeah, he, he was kind of streaky and I think this season was just a season too far for him. Obviously, we're recording this on Monday night and it's probably been a, a fun Monday for Inverness fans um, because there's been a lot of interest as to who the new manager might be. And there's a press conference mm-hmm. called uh, for Tuesday morning, uh, probably about the time this podcast goes live. But it looks like there's going to be a new manager at the helm. And we understand <laughs> it's going to be Duncan Ferguson that's going to be in the dugout. What's your take on that? Uh-huh. I'm pretty blown away, to be honest. Um, well, I mean, my you know my WhatsApp has been kind of going haywire all night and and the last couple of days, really, you know, all the speculation. And there seem to be different favourites every hour or so. You know, at one stage, you know, yesterday, um, I think it was Emery still on the picture yesterday, and then Davin O'Day, who seemed to be the club's favourite choice, that was rumoured. Then he was suddenly reported to have dropped out. And then I think Scott Brown was 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 also another name, and that was quite intriguing, you know. Obviously, um, and then I think it was like literally twenty minutes ago, nine o'clock. Suddenly, it was just like we know who it is, we know who it is, and it's, it's Duncan Ferguson, and just I just had no idea where it came from, you know. It's it's jaw dropping. I kind of almost wish it hadn't been leaked tonight, just to you know see what the impact of the press conference was would have been yeah. tomorrow if they'd actually managed to you know like managed to keep it completely secret. I mean, right? He he's obviously applied for it surely they're not going to go and sort of seek him out of all the names so he's obviously put his hat in the ring and when he saw it they probably couldn't not give him an interview and I assume he's impressed at interview mm-hmm. but I mean it's, it's a huge gamble and I think he said one managerial job um, Forrest Green I think he won his first of 18 games and didn't win a single one after that as far as I know mm-hmm. uh, I mean admittedly they were struggling at the time really badly but then we're struggling you know so um you know, kind of like, is it the same sort of thing? You're pulling someone in to try and turn around a team that's kind of in the doldrums and there's no guarantee he can do that. I suppose the positives are he's, he's worked with young players at Everton and, you know, he's probably going to have to work with some very young players and we do have good young players coming through. So that might be something. Um, he's such a big name that it's probably going to be a pool for players when we are finally in a position to sign any, although I have no idea if it's going to have any budget. One other thing actually I've heard is that I think Gary Boland is coming in as his assistant manager. And really? Gary Boland's, you know, obviously but, well that's that's what I've heard, yeah. Okay. Um and Gary Boland apparently is well he is he has got plenty of experience in the lower leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember what his last job was, but you know, he's he's bumped around these, you know, the divisions for years and he, he's obviously got connections in Scottish football. So that's something I mean that's something about Ferguson. I mean what's he twenty five years in England? You know, I don't know what his connections in Scotland are like. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued. I'm kind of excited. I'm also absolutely terrified. It could be an <laughs> absolute disaster. Um I think, you know, he's more of a gamble than than say Kevin Thompson, who's another name that's been mentioned, would have been. He's more of a gamble, I think, even than Scott Brown would have been, because Brown did have some decent, you know, decent spells at Fleetwood. Um someone like Ian McCall would have been a, you know, someone with experience. Mm. I think Ferguson is a bigger gamble than all of those. But um, you know, I mean, fair play, we've kind of Kept it interesting anyway. Is it potentially something that, because uh, it seems like a bit of a, a change of pace, I would say, from, from Callie Thistle in terms of a managerial appointment, do you think it's maybe something that is needed to kind of freshen things up? Because looking at, you don't tend to be a club that, that go through managers too quickly. And the last couple of managers, you know, like Billy Dodds and John Robertson, in terms of personality and background and pedigree and the way that they kind of operate seem relatively similar. And, you know, they're not... Flashy characters, they're, you know, very good professionals, they're quite steady. Um, and Duncan Ferguson just seems to be quite 
quite a, a, a departure from that kind of thing. But do you think that's the kind of thing that might actually ignite the club a little and freshen things up? Possibly. I mean, I think it'll it'll probably attract some fans in for the the sort of the the circus type factor. You know, what's, we know what's going on here, sort of thing. So I think it'll have a bit of that. But I mean, that sort of thing only gets you so far. Yeah. You know, if he's not if he's not successful, you know, people will disappear pretty pretty, pretty quickly. You know, mm. and that's you know, I don't want to prejudge him. He might well be successful. So. I see what you're saying, but whether that justifies the gamble. I mean, I suppose if there's any precedent for it, because, yeah, I think about the previous managers, obviously you missed um, Neil McCann was in there temporarily. He's another one that's yeah. kind of like, basically all these people you'll you'll find, if they're not in a managerial job, they're going to be on the couch in sports sound of a Saturday afternoon. John Hughes is the same, although, I mean, Hughes obviously was great for us um, for, for a couple of seasons. Um, but he's another one that kind of fits that profile to some extent. And the one kind of outlier there would be Richie Foran, but then that was a cheap option. So the last time we did anything that maybe approaches this would have been Terry Butcher. Mm. Very mm. big name, very big personality. Um, but Butcher did have quite a pedigree in Scottish football, you know, and, and I actually had a couple of good seasons with Motherwell. So I don't think it was the same sort of gamble. So yeah, mate, you know, I think in terms of shaking things up, and I think that our, our chief executive is probably not averse to um, to trying to shake things up and, mm. and do things like that. But yeah, it's it's we'll, we'll see. I would really have liked to have sat in that 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 meeting, yes. uh, that interview, whether or not he was impressive or intimidating, <laughs> just to see how he comes across. Because I think he's quite, I think he is a a good character to have back in mm. Scottish football. Um, just just quickly. The club's been fairly honest with its financial struggles in recent seasons. Are you yeah. happy with how the club's been run at the moment? Do you think there's there's anything more to worry about? Uh, I really don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, there's definitely things that the club could be doing better. There's no question about that. Communication with the supporters is really poor. Some of the treatment of the way that players have, you know, departing players have, have kind of reported the way they've been let go. That just is a really bad look for the club. The local marketing of the club, I think, is really poor. We've got next to no presence city centre you know and um, you know even when kind of volunteer fans kind of our fans try and volunteer to do things and that they, they're not really you know offers aren't being kind of engaged with and so on and so forth um, and then every you know every couple of months you might get this over long very defensive kind of statement talking about how well things are going and then they go quiet again so I think communication is really poor in terms of what they're doing financially I think that's very hard to kind of the, the, the board comes in for enormous criticism, but I think it's very hard really to know what more they can be doing because there's not, yeah. the crowds aren't great. They need to be getting income streams from somewhere locally. They claim to be trying to do that, but they obviously don't want to kind of go into too much detail about how they're trying to do that. And um, I think it's a case to be careful what you wish for because if, you know, say Ross Morrison, the chairman, decided to walk away, if Gardner gets forced out, then do we know if there's someone better or someone more able to kind of tap on those income streams waiting in the wings i don't know so yeah I, it doesn't feel like it's being terribly well run at the moment but i also think that it's incredibly difficult for any club of our size to make money especially when the crowds are as low as they are at the moment so it's really really hard to answer that um with any great authority yeah well hopefully hopefully the new manager does create a bit more of a buzz um, around mm -hmm. the place I know he tried to to kind of create a, a closer connection in Nailsworth although it's not very hard in Forest Green there's only about 5,000 people in Nailsworth <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. but the smallest the smallest football league club ever I think 
and um, pretty even towns, even but, smaller than Ross County. That's that's well, something. this is it. But I mean, <laughs> this, the thing is, Inverness is a beautiful place. So I mean, even <laughs> to play your football around that area is a it's a pretty. You know, I, I think uh, uh, someone like Duncan Ferguson will get it. Can't be having that, mate. You better get your finger out, all right, and make sure that you get the f- results. So interesting times at Inverness, Finn. But uh, can you just tell me what else has been happening in the championship over the weekend? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, Femin have moved up to fourth. They had a pretty comfortable win over Morton. James McPake, friend of the show, uh, said it was their best performance since he's been in charge, which is um, some praise because they were fantastic in League One last season. Wraith actually lost their first game of the season as well, one 0 to Airdrie, and I, I'm sure people will have will have seen the goal seen through the, goal, the, the yeah. SPFL thing. It was astonishing. Um, twenty six passes. It was Callum Gallagher that scored in the end. Twenty six passes. I think some people were living that most of them are in the defensive half. I think twenty two yeah, of them I, I or whatever. That. <laughs> twenty-two of them were in were in their own half. But it is still it was it's really encouraging to see because Reese McCabe's quite a young manager and he did such a brilliant job in getting Airdrie up through the playoffs last season into the championship. And they're holding their own there. Um mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's really nice to see that type of football where they were patient in position, but yeah. it was quick passing as well, and they were trying to just very quickly move and they eventually build after twenty or so passes into a position where they can break through the line go for it and Callum Gallagher puts it away so that was fantastic to see um, as ever it's the best league in the country love the championship well uh, League One it was a five star performance from Falkirk to add all the F's um, <laughs> beat Kelty Hearts 5-1 uh, unbeaten start for them and it's now five straight wins as well for Falkirk to keep on adding those Fs. Uh, Hamilton, though, are are kind of keeping up with them uh, as kind of an early indicator. You would think that they are going to be the two teams to fight it out for the title. A two-horse race, shall we call it. Uh, But the Aki's saw off Queen of the South 2-1 in Dumfries, the absolute... (coughs) Uh, In Rossetti, they almost secured their first win of the season, but their their own player, Jack Wilkie, scored an own goal in the 90th minute. So, yeah, they shared... Shared the spoils with Cove Rangers. They did get their first point, but they're still five points from Cove at the bottom of the table. So it's not good reading for Edinburgh City fans. Um, well, but League Two, Finn, finishes off. Well, Clyde finally picked up their first uh, win of the campaign, 2-1 over ninth place Elgin. So they will be hoping that that, <laughs> that can be a, a springboard to, to a bit of form now because they, they've looked pretty desperate uh, at the start of the season. Stenhouse Muir as well. Uh, beat Bonnie Rig 1-0 to, uh, that's three wins on the bounce, bounce now for Steny and uh, they're at the top of the table Peterhead are just a point behind they beat Dumbarton by the same scoreline 1-0 but um, Steny looking pretty formidable at the start of this season well thanks a lot Finn that was fun we're finished for another podcast we'll be back next week time to go and listen to something else now bye <laughs> <laughs>